And we asked a hard question that if God is in control of everything, then what about our free will? And I said that God is in control and you have free will. And somehow in God's infinite wisdom, they both work out that way. And so this morning, we're going to continue to look at what that looks like in the life of faith and what that looks like for Jonah. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to Jonah chapter 2. It's one of those books that's hard to find. It's one of the minor prophets. And uh, this week I had to keep searching for it myself. So eventually you'll find it in the back of the Old Testament. And I want to begin with, the, I want to begin with how the chapter 1 ends. Jonah was in this boat, right? And so the storms were, were I mean, the storm was bad. The waves were big. The boat threatened to break itself up, right? The, the boat was given kind of this... Um, human-like qualities. That's how bad the storm was. And so what we find is that once the men realize, the crew realizes that it's Jonah's fault and that the reason the storm is happening is because of what Jonah had done, which was fleeing and running away from the presence of God. Jonah says, the only thing you can do to stop all of this, because this is all because of me, is throw me overboard. And what we find is that the men, they didn't really want to throw him overboard because they were afraid that he was going to die. Jonah probably thought that he was going to die, but he knew that he could not allow this to continue because he didn't want his decisions to affect these other people that had nothing to do with what he was doing. So here's, the, here's where we pick up the story in Jonah chapter 1, verse 15. And it says, So they picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So Jonah gets swallowed by a large fish. We're not really sure what kind of fish it was. We often say that Jonah was in the belly of a whale because that's the only kind of animal that can probably fit a human being in his stomach. But does this story sound impossible? I mean, you guys, I mean, it sounds a little crazy, right? I mean, try to take away your, your, your lifelong Christianity and hearing the story and believing it, but does it sound kind of impossible? Not, not that a man could be swallowed by a whale. Like, that's very, like, possible. But the fact that he could stay alive for three days and three nights, that sounds impossible. But it's okay if it sounds impossible because we read story after story in the Bible of impossible things happening. Just this week, I was reading in John chapter 9, or last week, John chapter 9, how Jesus gives sight to a blind man. Is that impossible? I also read that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead this last week. There's another story in the book of John that Jesus gives a crippled man the ability to walk again. Does all of that sound impossible? Yes. But we believe in a God that can and does do the impossible. We believe in a God that from the beginning of scripture speaks life and the world into existence. Of a God who out of the chaos of life and reality speaks, speaks beauty and creation and purpose out of all of that. So we believe and we preach about a God that works in impossible ways. And we know the scriptures that say that all things are possible through who? Through Christ who strengthens us. 
all things are possible. There is no asterisk on that verse, but rather that anything and everything in this world is possible because we believe in the God who when he speaks life and creation into existence, he continues to also sustain every aspect of life. So there's a theologian by the name of Walter Brueggemann, and he says that the reason that the Bible is so powerful, and this is the reason that I always encourage all of us to come to the Bible daily, it's not because there's some sort of superstition, right? If you read the Bible, your day is not going to superstitiously or miraculously be a good day. Because how many of you have read your Bible and had horrible days? Yeah, it happens all the time. So you see, when you read the Bible, you're not, you're not just checking off the checklist and saying, well, life is going to be good now. When you read the Bible, what you're actually doing is you're opening your soul, your heart, your mind for the Spirit of God to use these words to begin to shape how you see the world. Where once you may have been a glass is half empty, through the Holy Spirit and through the Scriptures, we begin to see the, the glass as half full. So this theologian, he says this, that the reason reading the Bible is so important is because it helps you to re-describe your reality. So where once you saw only doom and gloom through the power of the stories in Scripture, by being exposed to what God has already done in the past, we can take that and interpret our reality and your experiences to know that although what you're going through may feel like it's impossible, the God who does all these amazing things in Scripture can now also do the impossible in your life in 2015. That is why we read the Scriptures because it helps to give us new language to be able to understand and interpret our lives. I guess in some ways we could say that the reason we read scripture is because it gives us a new lens, a new way of understanding how life works. So that's what redescription is. So when you're reading the Bible, you're not just reading stories that you've heard hundreds of times. But it's about taking the stories you have heard thousands of times and then reinterpreting and understanding what they are saying for you today. So first off, when we think of Jonah being swallowed by a whale as impossible, yes, of course it sounds impossible. So the first thing we want to look at is, um, so that, does it sound impossible? Secondly, the question that always comes up, and if you just Google this, you can, you can see people on both sides of the spectrum, is did this story then really happen? If it sounds impossible, then did this story really happen? And people will argue on both ends of the story. But if we get caught up on, just, on whether this happened or whether it could happen or whether it couldn't happen, we miss sight of the bigger picture that God is trying to paint through this. So let me just give you a few examples, and you'll have to ultimately come to a decision on your own whether this happened. So I'll say this few things about that. We know that Jonah was a historical figure. So we know that Jonah actually existed. The places mentioned in the book of, of Jonah, so the city of Nineveh, the city of Tarshish, those places actually existed as geographical locations in the, in the ancient world. And if that's not enough for you, because you're saying, well, yeah, so what? Maybe they used real life exam like real life things, and then they inserted other stuff in there. Then Jesus also mentions the story of Jonah. In the book of Matthew, Jesus, when people are asking Jesus, 
Are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Show us a sign, right? So the religious people were wanting Jesus to show them a sign to see whether he really was the Messiah. And what Jesus says to them, um, if you're taking notes in Matthew 12, he says this, um, an evil and adulterous generation looks for signs and there shall be no sign given to you but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man, so Jesus referring to himself, shall be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So he's, he's, Jesus is talking about his, um, his sacrifice and his death. And he says, The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because the ones from Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, one greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus refers to the story of Jonah as actually happening. He says, even the horrible city of Nineveh, and if we remember from a little bit from last week, they were a big, powerful um, city. They had a great military. They were like the center, the epicenter of everything that was good. People wanted to go there to make life better for themselves. But with that came judgment. And so Jesus is referring back to a real city and a real person, and, he's at the, the, and he says that the only sign that they will get is that Jesus will ultimately give his life up. He will be dead for three days, and on the third day he will rise again. He says it will be the sign of Jonah, and one greater than Jonah is here because Jesus was asking these people to repent, to submit, to trust that he is the one they were waiting for. So ultimately the decision will be up to you whether you will accept this story as true. But I think that if we even just take the words of Jesus, that might be proof enough for us. Thirdly, the question is, how is it possible that a grown man could be swallowed by a whale? And I think that some of the research shows that there are at least three kinds of whales or sharks that could actually do that. Um, the first one is the sperm whale. They could technically swallow an, a human being whole because they've found like other fish as big as humans inside of them. A white shark and the white whale. They have all been able to, they, they've all been found to have animals bigger than human beings in their belly. So that's, that's one thing. Um, how it would be for Jonah on the inside, we're going to look at this in a moment. But I was reminded this last week. Um, <laughs> I was telling, I was telling uh, one of your church members here that I was preaching on Jonah. I don't think he was here the week before. And he says, good luck, because um, Pastor Dante, which was the pastor before me, preached a very memorable sermon on Jonah. Do you, does anyone remember that? Well, this guy did, so he kind of put it in my head. And he, he, he kind of verbatim told me exactly what Pastor Dante said. And so I'm not as funny as Pastor Dante or as, what's that word? Huh? Animated. I was going to say dramatic, but yeah, as animated as he is. So um, you'll just have to stick with me. But what that looks like and what that would feel like could just be the most claustrophobic experience of your life. How many of you have ever had to do an MRI? Have you guys ever been put in that tube? That is, I'm not claustrophobic, but that is the most uncomfortable experience in my life. And, and the way they do it, they told me, so the way it was, it was like, it was on my knees, so you would think you could just go halfway in, right? 
But unfortunately, the way you go in is head first. At least that's how it was like 10 years ago when I had this done. And I remember, and they said, you know, if you get claustrophobic, we can give you something for it, but it's just going to be a couple of minutes. And, and the tube isn't that small. Like, the thing you go in is actually pretty big. But I remember feeling extremely like, like this, like it was the shrinking experience. And there was light, and you could see stuff. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Jonah, what it must have smelled like, right? Um, some commentators say that, some, that perhaps the acid in the whale would have bleached Jonah's hair and his skin. Is that weird? Yeah. So, Jonah is in this whale. And here's where we kind of pick up the story. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Jonah's current situation was that he thought he was going to die. He was in the worst possible case scenario. In some ways, Jonah had hit rock bottom. Sometimes it's when we hit that moment in our lives that we are forced to our knees because there is no other posture to take. It's this idea that when you have no other options, God still listens. Even if God is your last resort, God still listened. Jonah tried to run away from God. Jonah tried to do everything that he could to disobey God. He ran away as far as he could so if Jonah was a son of a parent, he, he didn't deserve to be listened to, right? If you have kids and they do something bad, like you still love them, you're still going to listen to them, but you're going to make them believe that, you know, they're in worse trouble than they are, right? And they probably will be in trouble if they did something really bad. They will be grounded. But Jonah didn't deserve to be listened to. Because Jonah wasn't just running away from God. Jonah was running away because he didn't believe that the city of Nineveh, the humans of Nineveh, deserved a second chance. He didn't believe that God should be gracious towards them, so he runs away because he thought that God was mistaken. So God could have just kind of left it at that, kind of let Jonah, you know, subside into oblivion. But God listens to Jonah Here's why this is important to us. I have a friend who I always, you know, I tell him, like, hey, you have to come to my church sometime. Like, come to church, come to church. And I understand that your relationship with God isn't cemented in the church. Like, your relationship to God is what you do on a daily basis. But I'm like, hey, come to church, come to church, hear me preach. And the thing that he always says to me is, I would go to church, but I don't think I'm good enough to be there. Because he's bought into this, and this is a smart guy, but he's bought into the understanding that it is his ability to do good or his goodness that makes him good enough to be a part of a church. And I try to explain to him, no, like, it's okay, you, you come as you are. Because the church is like a hospital, it's for sick people. None of us are good enough to sit in the presence of God if we think about who is good and who is bad. But that's what grace is all about, is that it allows us to have an audience with the creator of the universe. That is what grace is all about, is that God looks beyond even the worst things you've done in your life, because if you've accepted Jesus into your life, all that God sees is Jesus in you. That's hard for us in this world that we live in, because everything in your life and how good you are determines how much love you will get. So here's what I mean. Will a teacher give a student an A if they didn't study very much? 
I got a couple of not so good grades when I was in school. I think I only got one F once. Actually, I got an F in photography in high school, but the teacher was going through a hard time, so. <laughs> no, she really was. Like, there was like a personal, <laughs> we had a deal. <laughs> But no one gives you an A if you don't do the work, right? Right? Are you going to get paid if you don't go to work? Are you? No. Unless, I mean, unless you have vacation days. Okay, I get it. I know some of you are like, well, if you have time off, no. But you're not going to get paid if you don't show up to work. You're probably not going to get a promotion if you don't do good work. Right? Your, your wife isn't going to be happy with you if you don't give her your very best and vice versa. Nothing in this world is free. You have to work for everything in this world. That's the way of the world. So when the Bible talks about things that are worldly, to work for, for someone's approval or to work for something, that's the way of the world. But the way of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, my kingdom is not molded after the kingdoms of this world. So the reality of the kingdom of God isn't the way this world works. It's counter-cultural. It's the opposite. Which means that when Jesus dies for you, what the Bible says is that it's while you were still God's enemy that he dies for you. It wasn't when you had reached a threshold of goodness that then Jesus dies for you. But it's that God gives you salvation when you are still a sinner. That's why it's called salvation. It's liberation. It's reconciliation because you were far away from God. It's redemption because you didn't deserve it. And so the way of Scripture and what the Bible teaches us from, from the story of Adam and Eve who deserve to die, God still is gracious towards them. And it's the, and it's the same story that God continues until the very end. That's the story of Jonah. Jonah didn't deserve to be listened to because he did all of the wrong things. And yet, God still listens to him. This is the good news for us. It's good news for us. It doesn't say you can do whatever you want, whenever you want. But it says that when you, are, when you, do, when you do not live up to the expectations that God has for you, God is still gracious to you. Remember, when we read the scripture, it's to redescribe and to redefine our reality. But the thing is, we don't want to get to that point in our lives where Jonah gets to that point, right? Like Jonah hits rock bottom. No one wants to hit rock bottom. Amen? Like, I don't want to hit rock bottom. Suffering in that moment of rock bottomness often reveals our faith in God. It should never be the place that we begin our relationship with God, but God takes that anyway. You don't want to get swallowed by a fish just to get God's attention. Now, here's the other thing. Jonah being swallowed by a fish wasn't his punishment. So God wasn't, like, trying to punish Jonah. What God was simply doing, and the Bible tells us in the story of Jonah that God sends the storm, right? God hurls the storm, and then God provides a fish for Jonah to be swallowed by. But it wasn't so much a punishment as it was an opportunity for Jonah to reevaluate his life. You see, sometimes when you get swallowed by a fish, that's the time where you need to take the time to reevaluate your faith and your understanding of what God is asking you to do. 
It's oftentimes the most fertile soil of your life because it gives you an opportunity to draw closer to God. It is almost like those timeouts that we give kids, right? God gives Jonah a timeout and says, just think about this for a second. So Jonah, in the belly of the whale, then, he says, then Jonah prayed from the belly of the whale. And this is his prayer. The waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the, root, at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. So Jonah is describing death. In essence, what Jonah is saying is I thought he thought he, he thought he was done. And he probably thought that he deserved it because he was still living from that worldly mentality. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. So the presence of God is what we call the holy temple. I will, vo I will, the voice, I will with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it spewed Jonah out upon the dry land. This is conveying the reality that God is ultimately in control of Jonah's life. I believe that God knew that Jonah would try to flee, so he lets him. And I believe that, that, this, that he knew the storms would come and that he would be sending the storms. But I also believe that God knew from the beginning that Jonah would ultimately get to the place of understanding. So you see, oftentimes, even though God was behind these calamities on Jonah's life, God was still quick and fast to hear his prayer. God accepted Jonah's repentance. God is often in the midst of your most difficult circumstances. And I have a note in here. Um, for those of you who have experienced great suffering at the hands of evil people, I'm not saying that all suffering comes from the hand of God. I think it's clear that suffering comes because there are evil people in this world and there is evil that happens. And so some forms of suffering cannot be explained by, well, God needed that to happen for you so that you could repent. That's not what I'm saying. And, and, to, and to understand it that way would to be to misunderstand the scriptures. What we do find in that in some forms of our suffering, the smaller forms, I suppose, God is often in the midst of those situations. And if we are open, God will allow those situations to shape us to bring us back in sync and in harmony with the will that God has for your life. You have all experienced some sort of suffering. Some of you have experienced greater forms of it. So I won't diminish it by saying that God needed all of that to happen. I do believe that it does happen. And even those moments can be opportunities for us to get, get greater clarity as to the bigger picture of God's will. So there's a couple things I want to say and then we'll finish. I want to look at what the, the biblical word repentance. Oftentimes we think that repentance is confession, like, Lord, sorry, forgive me for being a sinner, forgive me for all these sins that I've committed, and now you're repenting. No, that's not, that's confession. When we confess is when we give light to our sins. Repentance is that moment in your life where you can acknowledge that God is God 
and you can live your life surrendered, fully surrendered to him. So the question I want to ask is, what is repentance? It's that moment of clarity in your life when you no longer want to live just for yourself. Now, it's natural. It's this natural inclination that you have, that I have, to just live for what our own selfish desires are. And it's so ingrained in us to want to get our way all the time that we don't realize we're doing it until we end up hurting someone. So repentance is being humble enough and I think this comes from God. Like, you can't really do it on your own. You could be open to it, but I think God's Spirit ultimately does this for you. Repentance is being humble enough to be able to look in the mirror and say, I no longer want to live for that guy. God will often send someone into your life to show you these truths. So whether, whether you accept it or not is a whole nother story, but oftentimes, at least in my life, whenever I've needed this, God has always sent someone who has been extremely clear with me that, hey, like, you are out of line, and it's painful, and no one wants to hear it, and yet it's the hand of God coming into my life. And I can just share with you my own experience, is the hand of God sending it in a way, because that's the only way that I will understand. So repentance is that moment of great clarity where you realize that you no longer want to live just for yourself, but you want to live for God. Now, Sometimes we think, you see, you, t you look at someone else, like, we're always good to know when other people have to repent, you know, and turn their lives to Christ. But the thing is, it's God doesn't need you to repent. Can I just say that? Can you guys hear me okay, by the way? I'm trying to speak loudly. We often get this picture that God needs you to repent because God wants you to come back to his fold and God wants to love you. The truth is, God doesn't really need us. We need God, Right? God creates and sustains us. God doesn't really need us. But what is amazing is that God still chooses to love you. God chooses to love you even on your worst day. I think it's easier to love people on their worst days because it shows us who they truly are. That's why we love our kids even when they are bad. But God doesn't need you to repent because he needs something from you. The reason that God wants you to turn to him and repent is because he knows that the moment you do, you will get back in sync and in harmony with the way God wants things to be for your life. Repentance is really you. It feels like we're having to give something up, but the biblical picture of repentance is that you're giving up your, your ego and your pride, but in return what you're getting is the blessing of God in your life in such a way that then you can be back in harmony with the way that God wants your life to be. And if you're living in sync, if you're living in harmony with God and the will of God, you are the one that's going to benefit. And if, and if you just talk to some of the people in this church who are, have a little bit more gray hair and are a little bit more experienced in life, they can probably tell you experience after experiences of when they tried to live on their own will, their own power, their own understanding, and the pain that comes with that. But they can also probably share with you the times where they've submitted to God and it didn't make sense and they had to take that leap of faith. And yet what they received from those moments was impossible grace and goodness and things just were better. The Bible is powerful and the story of Jonah, first of all, is the fact that even when you're bad, God still listens to you. That's, that's good news. That's gospel. That's grace. I'm so thankful for that. 
It doesn't mean you go and you be bad and do whatever you want to. It just means that God is always willing to listen. And that God is taking us down life's paths and certain turns and, and certain curveballs because God is showing us and revealing to us things that we need to see. And ultimately, we see that when we repent, when we turn back to God, right? and maybe it's not turning back to God because maybe we didn't turn away from him, but just when we focus on ourselves instead of focusing more on God, when, when we focus more on God, the blessing far exceeds whatever it is you feel that you have to give up. That's the second chapter of Jonah's life. Jonah is given a second chance. And next week, we're going to look at the third and final part. Um, and what happens when, um, I don't know how to put this, what happens when we don't truly understand what it means that God is gracious towards you? You'll want to come back because the final story kind of sums everything up and it helps us to put into perspective our lives in light of the life that Jonah lived and what God can continue to do in our lives. Let us pray. God, we are thankful that you are gracious towards us. And we acknowledge that if it was just based on how good we could be, that we wouldn't deserve even an inkling of your grace. But we're thankful that you're not like us. We're thankful that you are who you are. And so we pray that as we think about the story of Jonah, that you would help us to repent, to focus our lives on you, not only so we can give you honor and glory, but also, Lord, so that you can lead us down the life that's most abundant. And so I pray that you would give each one of us the spirit of humility that we need and the strength to be able to give up what we need to give up so that we wouldn't have to be swallowed by a large fish. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.